Hello, welcome to the Grand Serena Show. Today I'm doing something which I've wanted to do for a while, but I've never had the time mentally to adapt to doing it until now because I've got the time to be by myself so I know I won't get any distractions or interruptions and that nobody can hear me as I record this which is easier because the topic that I'm going to talk about I'm happy for people to hear it but after I've said it I don't want people to hear me saying it live because it's always a difficult topic to talk about when the subject is so close to me and many people out there who know, you know knows what it is and um, and even for people who are literally not involved whatsoever this can hit home to almost anybody because I'm pretty sure the majority of human beings have dealt with this at some point. So I'll start off. I don't want to also do any like interruptions as this is recording as well. I want this to be spoken from the heart and I want it to be as accurate and authentic as possible. Out of respect for the subject that I'm going to talk about, I don't want to add in cheesy music or have a break or anything. I just want it to be one continuous take. So I've got a drink right in front of me, not an alcoholic beverage, but it's being drank out of a Strongbow pint glass, which my friend Jasmine Pritchard gave to me and I've still got it uh, to this day. Little funny story. I live right next to a pub and Jasmine was in the, this pub with me one evening and she ordered the Strongbow, which was a drink of choice. And she went outside to have a cigarette and she said, oh, can we go back to yours and play on Sonic, the game on the PS2? So I said, yeah, sure, we have literally just ordered that pint. And she looks inside, sees no one's there, and just goes, oh, I'll just take it back to yours. <laughs> so she stole this Strongbow pint glass and uh, brought it back to the flat, and she had a pint. We played on Sonic, and she said, keep this, and every time I come round, I'll always drink out of this. So I was like, okay, that's, that's your glass. And it still is, it's still her glass. So... The reason why I've said that little story is because obviously by now due to the title and how I've been building it for three minutes, I'm going to talk about Jasmine Pritchard, who was one of my very closest friends for 10 years, just over 10 years. Um, I'm going to talk about how we met, uh, what we actually went through as friends and everything else. and ultimately the legacy of that friendship and so forth. Uh, again, I've got nothing written down. I've not even typed anything out on my notes. I've not given myself anything. I've just literally been overcome with this feeling of going right and I just need to talk about this. So I'm just going to go, go with it. I met Jasmine Pritchard in college when we were both 16. So we both went to Riverside College in Runcorn and we started there in 2008. And I remember the very first time I seen her. Um, I had been in the wrong class for the induction day because I was in drama and I accidentally went into dance drama. So I did my entire induction in a class of people that I was never going to see. And another girl who was, in, who was in my course did the same mistake. Her name was Joanna. And she was one of Jasmine's close friends. So I met Joanna in this uh, dance drama thing and we both realized, oh my God, we're in the wrong class. So we missed the proper induction day. So our very first day of college, like everyone had already seen each other, but I hadn't seen any of them. So they probably would have just assumed that I was 
some brand new person who just started that day, but really had already done the induction. So I get there and I see a guy who I did recognize from the induction and I went, right, he, I know he's in the drama class. So I went right up to the entrance and said, hi, I'm Grant, I'm in the drama class of you, but, and I just very briefly explained the cock up about being in the dance drama and he was laughing and all that. And then we stood there and then I turn and he says, oh, look at her coming towards us. And I said, oh yeah, she's quite nice. Now, I was in a relationship at the time, but she's very attractive. Turn around and this blonde, five foot eight girl, very slender, got a thick coat on and she's walking towards us. She's got this big smile on her face and her eyes are very, very ocean blue and catches our attention, mine and Randy's attention. That's the guy I was talking with. And she comes right up and goes, so are you two in drama? And we were, yeah, yeah, we're in drama. She's like, okay, cool. I'll stick with you then. I don't want to go in by myself. So, okay, cool. So the three of us go in into our first day of drama and the rest, as they say, is history. But that's the very first time I met Jasmine. So straight away, she was very forward, you know, with a you know, very bubbly personality. Uh, we got on like a house on fire, like everyone on that course, not just me and Jasmine, but the whole course. Um, we went through a lot in them two years. Like people who joined, you know, there was about three or four people who didn't last long, they left, and it made the rest of us stronger as a group of friends. We'd take um, trips to Coventry, and that was another, that was quite funny, that uh, Coventry trip, because we were meant to um, go to Coventry on this coach to witness some lectures, um, but we were like, what, 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 what are we going to learn from these lectures? We're drama students and we're not here to do anything else apart from act. But they were like, well, it's part of your thing, you've got to go. So, okay, so we sat at the back of the coach for this two-hour coach journey, whatever it was, and we ended up playing truth and dare. And, <laughs> so, and I was sat next to Jasmine throughout that um, Coventry trip. We were doing some of the most stupid dares and revealing a lot of truths about each other, very personal and stuff, and it was just very fun. It was quite an icebreaker to get to know each other. So that was quite funny. Um, and it, we, even to this day, when we all meet up, and as soon as someone says Coventry, we all go, ah, yeah, that coach trip. And I think everyone, I mean, I'm talking, you know, from personal experience and a lot of people who weren't a part of this college life just listen going, yeah, I don't get these inside jokes and yeah, I apologize, but I'm kind of laying the foundations down just so you get a better understanding of what I'm going to be leading towards. So bear with me, I do apologize. So yeah, trips to Coventry, um, we did, the plays that we performed were, we wrote and directed our own first play, which was called Someone to Blame. And it was about the effects of terrorism after 9-11. Because don't forget, this was only six or seven years after 9-11. So it was still quite a fresh topic. And plus 7-7 happened a few years earlier. So we thought, yeah, we'll talk about the effects of terrorism. So we did that and it was terrible. <laughs> the play was terrible. And it was funny that it was called Someone to Blame because we ended up saying, right, who's to blame for this atrocity of a play? And people were blaming me because I came up with the idea initially and uh, Jasmine, her um, idea was domestic violence or something. It's something to do with family unit going wrong. But because that had been done to death, that's why I suggested terrorism. And eventually everyone said, yeah, yeah, we'll go with terrorism. The second play we did was The Crucible. Now, this is when me and Jasmine in particular got really close as mates. Like, we, we were all like this clique at first. Like, we all sat together. We were all talking together, but there was no one was breaking off and talking within themselves. Like, we'd have, like, our own individual friendships. But when we got cast to do The Crucible, I was cast as John Proctor, the leading role. And Jasmine was cast as Abigail Williams, who was John Proctor's love interest, not his wife, but his love interest. So everyone else who was cast as their other parts, you know, they go off and rehearse their lines together in their scenes. And Gail, our college tutor, thought it'd be a good idea for me and Jasmine to create this chemistry for on stage, like this 
almost sexual tension between us like when we were on stage so it's more believable so me that's how me and jasmine started properly hanging out talking like rehearsing our lines and our scenes together and gail was like oh you we need to do some improv scenes with you and jasmine you know we need to see this chemistry that you have like she's obsessed with you and you need to keep pushing her away so that your wife doesn't you know see that there's anything going on so we went and we spent hours like just going over these scenes where Jasmine would become very affectionate towards me and I'd have to kind of go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is anyone watching? No, 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 not here, not here. And she'd be like, come on, come on, please, John. No, no. So we got, we kind of um, did like method acting in, in that sense where even at lunch breaks, we'd sit next to each other and I'd let my then girlfriend sit at the, the, the left side of me and Jasmine sitting on the right side of me. And like Jasmine would be like deliberately flirting to me in front of my then girlfriend. And I'd get that natural awkward, like, oh, stop doing that, you know, don't do that, she's here. And everyone else was in on it and they all knew. They're like, this is quite risky to do like this is a real relationship with grant and his girlfriend and what you know stop doing it but we we thought it was hilarious in the end and my girlfriend at the time did know about it but it was quite funny to actually live out that um improvised uh, flirtatious secret relationship between each other it was quite funny and we always laughed about that uh, we had to do a kissing scene as well and we were quite professional with that so there's that. So we did the Crucible and that was uh, a success, actually. It was actually probably the best play we did in them two years. Um, then the first year of college ends. And at the end of that first year, I've wrote, written a screenplay, mini film. And I desperately wanted to cast Jasmine in it. I actually made the part for her, like... Because we we're, you know, a bunch of actors in this course, so obviously I was going to be casting people from our, you know, from our group. And I made four male characters and two female characters, and I had Joanna and Jasmine in mind for the female characters, but Joanna couldn't do it; she had to back out. So I, rather than just writing off her character, I just thought, well, I'll keep the character, but I just won't have her be seen. But Jasmine was set to be in it. And it got down to like two or three days before we were going to do the first day of shooting. And again, she, like Jasmine messaged me on MySpace or MSN, that's how long ago it was, uh, saying um, she was going to Portsmouth for the week. Like it was a last minute thing. So I was like, oh, what the hell? So I can't reschedule this now. Like everyone else is, you know, we're all ready to go. We can't just change it for one person. So again, I had to go, right, well, I want to keep this character I've made for Jasmine a part of the story, just in case we end up making it and we want to do a sequel. <laughs> I know this is like a 17-year-old version of me thinking, yeah, we can do loads of this, but you know, we can only do one in the end. So I kept her character in it, where she, uh, the main character was talking to her on the phone. So she was kind of in this film. Uh, but after that experience, um, the second year, that's when we were, again, like our friendship was just getting so strong by this point. Um, like she came, she lived in Witness and I live in Runcorn. So she'd come over from Witness and we'd go to like double dates because she had a boyfriend at the time. So I was with my then girlfriend, she was with her then boyfriend. So we'd do double dates, like we'd go to the shopping city, we'd go to Pizza Hut. We'd go to cinema, um, we'd just go on walks, we'd go to places where we could go to hang out as 17-year-olds could, because obviously we couldn't go to a pub, couldn't go to any places where we were too old to be there. So there was that in-between age where we were like, oh, what do we do? So we just, you know, did stuff like that. Um, second year of college went great. There was a... Um, she... Near the end of the second year before we left, before we graduated, she was getting quite stressed out to find um, what university she could go to. I had it set straight away that I was not going to go to university. I didn't want to. So I that part of 
my life was just like not connected with Jasmine at that point because she was doing her UCAS forms and you know going out find you know going to these universities to see where she wanted to go so that kind of put a little tiny damper on our friendship because I was I had my headset for one direction for one specific way of life and then she had her set for another so we weren't really hanging out as much towards the end of college but then um this is well yeah I have to mention it because it's part of issue and I can't change it uh but yeah we, me and Jasmine did have a little falling out uh from the very last day of college um we had made it set that we were going to go to the pub because we were all 18 by this point this was 2010 and um and then we go to Weatherspoons for a meal. Jasmine got too drunk and in front of everyone accidentally, you know, grabbed my groin and my girlfriend seen it at the time and she didn't like that. And she was saying, you know, this is out of hand now. Like I could put up with you doing it because if, if it was for a performance, but she's just blatantly done that to piss me off and, and you need to speak to her about it. So I said, right, okay. So I spoke to her. This was after she'd sobered up like the following day, I think. And Jasmine just took it the wrong way. She thought I was uh, making, uh, like, like pick between being friends with me and or not. And she just saw the wrong end of things and thought, no, 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 I'm done. Can't be bothered. And then she was like, I've got other things to worry about with university, so bye-bye. So we stopped speaking. And I think it was for a year and a half, I think. Um, and that was tough, really, because we'd been so close throughout college. We had all these great memories, and everyone else was still friends. So it was just a, it was just a bad time to fall out with someone like that. And I think breaking up with my girlfriend like the year after made things easier to then contact her again. But I just never got round to it. I knew that she'd split with her boyfriend when they were in college, but I didn't know what university she was at. I didn't know what she was doing with life. Uh, I didn't know if she'd still blocked me on Facebook or whatever, because by now, MSN and Bebo had pretty much died out of my space, and I didn't have her on Facebook. So I was like, oh, what do I do? You know, do I leave it? Or her? Eventually, early 2012, she found me on Facebook and messaged me and said, let's have bygones be bygones, you know. You know, I know that you split with your girlfriend, I've split with my boyfriend, so there's no awkwardness to be there now. We can just be as we were, you know, just good mates. And I was like, yeah, I'm down with that. Because I've missed you. And, you know, I want to know how your life's been in uni and stuff. So we, yeah, we, that's when we started to hang out again. Like, she'd come over to the Wilson's pub, where, where I live, basically, the pub next to mine. Um, and we'd just do catch-ups and she'd tell me what she was doing in uni and it was quite sad to see how uh, she was so bogged down about it all because um, she was so energetic and enthusiastic in college. Like To see that transformation from someone who was so bubbly and lively and so full of life and then I, I don't see her for a year and a half and then the next time I see her, like her within herself she'd changed so much not so much as what she'd gone through that's that's one story that could be told another time but to physically see it in someone she was still the same person but it was i don't know it, it, there was this darkness there that i had never seen before when we were in college like she didn't have that and all of a sudden she's telling me these things that she'd been through and how her attitude towards life was slightly darkened and it was quite scary to see that. I mean, I've gone through stuff as well and I suppose, yeah, my own attitude had changed towards life as you do when you get older, you know, but I, I just didn't think I'd see it in Jasmine because of, you know, how, you know, bubbly and lively she was and how positive she was 
So I told her to well, just get out of uni. If the, all this is happening and it's really having this effect, then you just leave. You know, don't stay because you think you have to. So I didn't go uni. I've got my own place now. You know, things don't have to be all down on paper and grades and stuff. You know, just go out and live your life. So I kind of had this really big talk of her and that's when she kind of started to change her life around. She got a job in um, her local pub, which was the Four Top Oaks which is near where she lived and she was great at that job and she loved it. And then she'd be getting some random fellas, she'd be getting with some random fellas um, and always wanting me to meet them. And I remember there was this one guy called Ian who she made me meet and she was like, yeah, we'll, we'll come over to yours. You know, he's a good laugh, we'll bring him round and, you know, and I remember that night we, you know, we came into the Wilsons and Jasmine's being Jasmine, she's you know being very flirtatious and <laughs> very outgoing. And there was nothing wrong with that, by the way. That's just who she was. She was very. Pot this is like well after this talk, by the way. Um, and Ian is looking and he's like, oh, I don't like this. Uh, we go back to my flat and he locks himself in my bathroom whilst Jasmine and me are in the living room, and. I'm like, what's he doing? Why is he, why is he locked himself? So I, I went up to the door and said, you're right in there. He, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And the Jasmine goes, oh, no, no, no. He's he, he's being a bit of a mood. Oh, don't. He's he's not normally like this. And I was like, mm. So I pulled Jasmine to one side and I went, do you think, you know, is, is he jealous? Like, you know, the way that me and you have been tonight, like we've been so bubbly with each other. Do you think that he's feeling a bit territorial? She's like, oh, well, if he does, fuck him, you know, you know, nothing's going to stop me and you being friends now. So if he doesn't like it, you can fuck off. So I was like, all right, well, I don't want to get involved. Anyway, they ended up having a bit of an argument after that. And ultimately, it came down to the fact that Ian had seen the side of Jasmine where she was, like, placid around him. But then when she'd be around me, she opened up and felt more alive, so to say. And he didn't like that for some reason. So I was like, well, do one then. So they split up. Um, and I, I, I remember saying to her after that, I said, listen, so yeah, we're going to be friends forever type thing, but you need to get with a guy who understands that nothing is ever going to happen between me and you. We're only ever going to be friends, but platonic friends. And she went, I know. So I know I will find that guy one day, don't you worry. Um... So yeah, I'm kind of skipping between time frames here, but um, around this time as well, when she was single and I was single, people thought something would happen between us, but nothing ever did, like properly anyway. There was, there was, it's like we were a couple, but we just didn't do couple stuff. Um, we'd, the, we'd go to a place in Runcorn called Frog's Mouth, which is affectionately known as Frog's Gob, and it's this cliff you know, this like natural part of Runcorn where it's all rocky areas and then there's a cliff and you can go into this alcove underneath the cliff and it's shaped like a frog's mouth. That's why it's called frog's mouth, frog's gob. And we'd sit in there in this alcove with nothing but tree tops of trees in front of us and we'd just talk about life. And, you know, we'd bring food out there and we'd sit there with like some butties and some drinks and we'll just sit there for hours and we'll be laughing our heads off we'll be crying and you know all the stuff that we'd be going through and we were just there for each other just making each other feel better um and we did that quite a few times around this specific period this was probably like late 2013 early 2014 something like that um but yeah, like we, by this point, like there was no separating us. Like we would, we both matured so much since that last day in college, and we were both at a point in our lives where we just didn't care what people thought about me and her spending time together, and we were not doing any harm to anyone else and to each other. So it was all good. Um. Yeah, and then after that. I got back, I went to Africa, volunteered over there, come back and I started the band that I'm in. And straight away, she was like one of the very first people to be like, yeah, I'm gonna come and watch you play. I'll definitely support you. 
you know, doing what you're doing, you're a great band, you're a great drummer, I'm right there. So I was like, oh, great, that's fucking awesome, great. Um, and yes, she did. The, um, she was. She said the favourite song of ours is called The Player, and it's the song. It's a song which I sing, uh, and I scream at the end of the song. And she said she loved that. So you know, she loved um, bands like Architects and uh, Arch Enemy. You know, people. You know, bands that scream. You know, goth mosh. You know, heavy metal. So when she went, oh my god, granted, I didn't know you could play the drums like that and do screamo as well. So oh, I love that song. So oh, cool. So that was her favorite song um, for Two of Substance. Um, and she did come to see our very first gig as well in the pavilions. We did a charity gig for my, one of my cousin's wife's late father. I know it's a long stretch like, but um, we were invited to do this thing charity event and I told Jeff to say hey we've got a gig and straight away you know she turned up and she took a video of us performing and she stayed throughout the whole event as well um, but the main thing I was going to talk about was when she met Ben a partner um, so she had all these guys that she was with and nothing ever come of it and I was like you know you need to find this right guy and then she, she, I remember just before I went to a friend's birthday party who was in our college group. Um, she, oh, that was the chair, by the way. <laughs> um, she said, I've got this guy, Grant, and he reminds me of you. Uh, he's very, you know, he's same type of humour, same personality, and he's you get on with him so great, and I really want you to meet him. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. Bring him round to the party and I'll meet him. And we get to this house party and she's just there with this guy who's got a beard, looks quite shy, and he looks like he's my age as well. And she goes, Grant, she grabs my arm, pulls me and goes, this is Ben. Ben, this is Grant. So, hi, Grant, nice to meet you. I was like, oh, hi, Ben, nice to meet you too. And she was like, you two get on so well, you're so similar. You know, I'm so content with my life now and I've got both of you to thank. And I was like, well, great. You know, if, if he's making you this happy, then yeah, I'm all for it. And Ben is an absolutely amazing person as well. And it didn't shock me when she told me his age. And I'm, for the sake of this, I'm not going to reveal Ben's age, but he's not my age. He's older than me, quite a lot older than me. <laughs> Sorry, Ben. Um, but I always said, Jasmine, you need to get with someone who is an established person and I mean that by not by finance but as someone who's lived their life so that you can you know be under their wing so to say just to kind of keep you grounded someone who knows what they're doing in life because they've been there they've done it but they're still young enough to you know have a future with you so when she told me how old he was I went perfect so that's, a lot of other people were shocked when they seen that she got with Ben because of his age and the, you know, the age gap. But I wasn't shocked. If anything, I was, the, I was like, ah, oh, finally, this is it. This is the guy that you're meant to be with. And she just laughed that off. And so did Ben. I was like, yeah, I knew that this would happen. Yeah. And I remember the following year, they finally, you know, they were still together. And uh, I'd bring them back to my flat. Uh, we, we'd go to the pub, the three of us. We'd come back to mine, we'd have a takeaway, and then they'd get the taxi back. Um, and then the following year, they actually moved in together. Uh, they have this house in the end of this uh, terrace uh, place in Widness, like out the way, like I think it's near Huff Green Station. And um, they invited me around there quite a lot, actually thinking back. Um, and it was very artistically designed. The other Ben is a lover of comics, and his auntie's actually a famous uh, author of something to do with comics. Not too sure, to be honest, but all these artifacts are spread around the house. Um, his CDs, his album collection, Jasmine's contributions to it were like the actual furnitures and to place it, you know, to have the TV next to the window and the couch opposite and stuff like that. And they had the cat together as well, um, because Jasmine was absolutely obsessed with cats. And she would openly admit that the cat that they had together 
was her baby. <laughs> so there was no, um, like, if you say that, you go, what? It's your yeah, yeah, that's my boy. Don't you be saying anything other than that. You know, that's my boy. So that's my baby. So like, okay, okay. And she was, you know, she loved cats. So it was good to see when they, they moved in together. And I just knew, I was like, yeah, this they're, they're going to last forever, these two. Like, this is... The, the life that Jasmine yearned for, she finally got it with Ben. And I say that knowing, seeing firsthand everything that she went through from being this bubbly, lovely teenager to the depths of what she was going through in early adulthood. And then the transitional phase of getting with these guys who were just not right for her and then finally landed on her feet by getting with Ben. So I'd seen it all firsthand. So when she finally moved in with Ben and she was, you know, living life, you know, she had the job, she had the fella, she had the cat, she had this house, gorgeous house, um, and this life. And I was like, this is it, you know, she's, she's set now. This is great. Uh, and I'd stay over at theirs a few times as well. You know, we'd have some really cool nights there, like, uh, showing her the magic tricks that I taught her. And then she went off and learned new magic tricks to show to me, <laughs> stuff like that. And then um, we'd have other people around as well. It was just, they were really the, the best times within the 10 years. Like I can look back at the colleges and be so nostalgic of that because of how innocent and beautiful everything was. But between 2015, 2017, like them three years when Jasmine was at her best and being with Ben in that house and all that, that was like the best times that I had with with her, you know, and she'd invite me around and she had to go on a walk somewhere and we'd go to the back trees of witness, like places that I'd never heard of and there'd just be no one there and we'd be walking and talking for hours and just to see how happy she was like that was the best time um yeah i mean it's only now that you know it emotionally starting to hit me again um because you know it's still raw you know i'm, I've made, I'm not gonna cry on this podcast i'm not gonna do that but you know, I am feeling the hairs stick up in my arms and the back of my neck when I'm thinking about the, that time period because everything was so positive at that point. Like, she'd overcome so much. So, yeah, it was that, that was the best. Um, so we're going into 2017. Um, this is when... I could see something was happening again within her mindset. Um, she'd always suffered with some form of borderline personality disorder. And alcohol really affected that side, but it also tamed it. And it's a weird thing to say, but you, know, you could go by the textbook, you know, a doctor could say, make sure you don't drink, make sure you don't do this, blah, blah, blah. But if you have a vice and if you have a way of controlling your behavior and stopping you from doing stupid things, sometimes you have to go against the textbook in order to make yourself feel better. And with Jasmine, yeah, it was pointless of me telling her, oh, don't drink, don't do this, because you know how you get because she was worse when she didn't. I ended up getting to the point where I'd say, right, if she's having a bad day, or you know, if Ben was working nights and she was by herself and she'd come down to see me, I'd let her drink in the flat because A, I could look after her. She'd be under my roof so she won't be going off and doing anything stupid. And I'd just let her talk and talk and talk and just whatever she was going through whatever mood she was in. If she was sat in my living room, she could be as pissed as a fart, as whatever, she could drink whatever she wants to drink, but if she got everything off her chest and then just crashed afterwards and I was there to look after her, then I'd rather that happen than for her to have kept it bottled up and then go out to the pub by herself, get smashed 
and then tried to find her way back home walking and then she ends up getting hit by a car or something. So I always said to her, listen, come round mine, get yourself a crate, a strongbow, whatever, just talk to me, just get it off your chest. I don't care what it is, look at how long you're here for or how long it'll take for you to talk, just come round and let's just get this sorted. And I'm looking back in hindsight and when I'm saying it, because I know people will probably not understand this, but I seen her go through trances, like she put herself in a trance in order to stop herself from doing stupid things. And when I say stupid things, I mean irrational spur of the moment decisions, which could harm her because she had done some stuff like this during that year and a half that I hadn't seen her and I was aware of her history. So yeah, she'd be in a trance. Basically she'd be drinking herself silly and I'd be sat there going, well, if you're going to be sick, be sick, whatever, just get this out of you, you know, don't let it eat you up. And she'd talk about whatever it was that she was going through. And a lot of the times it was nonsense that she'd be saying, I'll be honest, but she was so erratic and so, so stubborn in what she had to say, even if it didn't make sense, she'd just have to say it. And she'd be very, you know, theatrical with her movement of body language. She'd be sat down on the couch and she, her eyes would be swaying left to right. And she'd be very sure of herself. It's like she was having a fight with herself and um, she would just go off on one. I'd listen to what she'd say, but if someone were to ask me what was it that she actually talked about, I, I wouldn't be able to recite anything because it was the ramblings of someone who just had to speak and had to get whatever emotion they had off their chest in that moment in time. So I'd just let her do it. And then to push it even further, I knew that there were certain songs that made her feel better. Like if she'd get this aggression off her chest. And there was one song in particular called Gravity by Architects. Um, and she put that song on full blast and she'd sing along to it. And that type of song, it's like screaming throughout. Like there's no like la di da. It's all uh, in your face, just constant yelling down the microphone. That type of song, and she'd sit there, and I kid you not, it was like there was a. Uh, I was watching someone go through the darkest of emotions. And she was clearly struggling to cope with this manic behavior all at once. So she would literally peel back every part of this negativity that she was going through in that one moment when she'd be singing that song. It's hard to describe. It was quite scary to watch, but I just knew she had to get this out in the open so she'd sing along to the song and she'd be sat down she'd slam her hands on the side of this couch that I'm sat on this exact couch she'd squeeze the sides and her eyes would be shut and she'd be swaying side to side and then she'd be sitting forward scream a bit more sit back and then like have this grin on her face in between like the verse and chorus where there'd be no vocals and then she'd sit back further and like all like prepare herself to get more off her chest and she'd just really get into the song and then as soon as the song finished and after she'd finished ranting about whatever it was she was ranting about she'd sit back and it was like she ran a marathon or it's like she ran from New Zealand to Japan like she'd just lean back and she'd be so exhausted and everything was gone and she'd be quiet and it was rare to be around Jasmine where she wasn't talking but after a, a stint like that which happened on a few occasions she'd just sit back and she'd be quiet and all of a sudden she'd just sit forward and it was like she was sober again and she'd just just look at me for a bit and be like thanks I needed that and that was it.
So it was like she was literally, that was her way of coping. So that happened a few times. This was like 2017. Uh, and I knew things weren't good mentally for her. I knew that she was struggling. Uh, and there was one time that I actually saved her life. Um, this was, oh God, I think it was November, 2017. Um, she came around the flat again. This is when she was having a day where she was like, oh, I need to see you, Grant. I just want to talk and okay. So she'd come around. This, by the way, none of these problems were ever to do with her and Ben. Like, it was in their relationship. Like, so don't be thinking that Ben caused any of this because he didn't. If anything, he was the one who was there for her when the, she was at home with him and what she was doing and he'd be there for her. These would be on days when she made plans to see me and she'd have all these things bottled up that she couldn't talk to Ben about, like, for whatever reason. Like, because he'd work nights and he'd be in bed, so... She'd come down, and this one particular time, um, right outside my flat, there's a window, uh, and if you open the window, it's about 15, 20 foot drop to the car park below. And um, a lot of times in the past, she'd say, pick me up. So I'd pick her up and I'd sit her on this window ledge so she could have a cigarette, because she's not allowed to smoke in the flat. Um, and she'd just lean out the window, like, and, you know, to flick the reaction and all that. So, and I'd always stay there as well. So, you know, we'd be talking in the hallway. But this one time, uh, November 2017, I sat her, I picked her up and put her on the windowsill and um, she was, you know, lighting a cigarette and I badly needed to wee. So I went back in uh, to have a wee. And then just as I finished, Something said to me, get back out there as soon as you can. And normally I just walk back out to the hallway, but I ran. I flushed, didn't even wash my hands, pushed the door open, ran to the front door, opened it and turned to my right where the window is. And I see her legs literally going up like in the air. So it's like she was leaning out of the window. She was falling out the window. And it's probably at an arm's length. That's how close this window is to my door. So I opened the door and in the split second where I see her legs, her feet are basically aiming to the ceiling. I jump and wrapped both arms over her, like tops of her ankles and held, like held it in together and then used my weight to shift her back up until her back was on the windowsill and she, her arms were dangling and I scrape her back, pulling her back in. And then I finally lift her, then I just I'm hold her in, in my arms and I put her down, like pretty much like, so she's standing, I push her against the wall, grab her face and go, what the fuck were you doing? Because that was not an accident. You're, you were about to fall out of that window deliberately, come on. Pulled her inside to the flat so then none of the neighbors could hear what just happened because I didn't want any fucking commotion. Sit her down in my living room and she just started crying. So I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I said, do you realize that if you'd have fell, that it, may, it would have looked like that I would have done something? It's like, you could have got me in so much shit. She said, I know, I know, I'm sorry. And then she was genuinely sorry, but it was then like irrational spur of the moment decisions she would make. If she seen an opportunity to do something, she'd just go, fuck it, I'll just try it. And unfortunately she did that quite a few times it was quite erratic but after that I said look whatever it is you're going through there is no need to ever take it out on yourself that's ultimately what it comes down to and saying so, by doing that you were taking out on me as well because I would have been involved in that so she again apologized so that was one time um, I think 2018 there was no uh, thing like that again. I think she was probably at her best, um, like the beginning of the year and going through the year. There's nothing that jumps out where it's like, oh yeah, that was that was a sign. Like she she invited me around to hers again, and she was very calm and normal. And she had a new job, uh, which she loved again. This was a, a new look. 
Um, she made me. She introduced me to uh, Santa Clarita Diet, the Netflix series. Uh, I introduced her to Mr. Nightmare videos. New stuff was happening around that time, like my relationship at the time. Um, the band was doing really well, and her life was going really well. So this was like, like 2018 was probably when we were both just calm and we were done with the drama, done with the depression side of things and helping each other in that, it, not in the way of, oh, we've been there, done that, let's move on now, it can be normal. It, we've always been normal friends, but that year felt like we, every time we hung out, it was to chill and to watch TV together and to talk about football and to talk about relationships and to talk about happy things. And it, that was great. Um, the 26th of October, 2018, I had the flat to myself because I live with my brother. And uh, I just had this urge to just do something. Like this was like evening time, probably about four or five o'clock. I was like, oh, I'm bored. Right, I'm gonna call Jasmine. So I called Jasmine. She said, are you okay? What's wrong? I said, are you free right now? Do you wanna come out to the old town? And she said, oh, I've got no money. I said, no, listen, I've got paid quite a lot of money and I want to see you and uh, Danny, one of her uh, mates from college, and I've got a mate who I'd like you to meet called Ray. So she went, are you sure? I said, yeah, I'll pay for your taxi. Just come over. You know, we'll have a good night. She went, okay. So she came over. Um, we went to the Royal in the old town. Danny came out. Ray came out. I introduced them together. They hit it off. I knew they would. Um, and Danny and Jasmine hadn't spoken to each other in probably about three years by this point. So that was great to see them talking again and just we're having a good time. There was a Liverpool game that was on. Um, it was a Champions League game against Red Star Belgrade. And we won 4-0. Uh, so that's how I remember the date anyway. And yeah, um, the four of us came back to the flat. Danny had to go home. It was just me, Jasmine, and Ray for about an hour or two, and we'd listen to music. And she was, you know, everything was good. I made them do the more on test, which I've got here. It's this little poster I've got in me flat. It's 20, 35 questions. And it's like, before Mount Everest was, was discovered, what was the tallest mountain in the world? Mount Everest. So I do that with everyone who, who comes around the flat. And that was a really good night. Uh, Ray had to go, it was about 11 o'clock. So again, I paid for his taxi to get home. I kind of dragged them out. So I was like, listen, on the basis that you've been dragged out, I'll pay for your journeys, you know, here and back. I didn't mind. And it was just me and Jasmine then for about two or three hours. And again, we were just sat in the living room and it was just so good. We ended up dancing to Bad Romance by Lady Gaga, which was our college song, so to say. Uh, I made a listen to a new song from our band and she said she loved it. It was a modeling, a song modeling. And I was glad they made her listen to that. And that, that was just like a few days before it was released. So she always got a two of substance VIP treatment. <laughs> uh, it was a really good night. Uh, can't say anything wrong about it. And then we stood at the front door waiting for a taxi. And uh, the taxi pulled up. She gives me a hug, a kiss on the cheek. She kisses me on the cheek and I said, she said, oh, I'll pay you back when the next get paid. I was like, don't worry about it, it's fine. She gets in a taxi and she goes. And then uh, throughout that, and then the next time that I hear from her, uh, there's like uh, two weeks have gone by and we're messaging each other on Facebook, talking about a few things, you know, other people's relationships and... She paid the money back that, that she owed me, apparently. But I was like, no, you don't need to give me the money. It's fine. But she did anyway. She paid me. Uh, and then we were making plans to see each other. And then Thursday, the 22nd of November, 2018, about five to seven in the evening, she calls me. And it was just so random. I was like, oh, Jasmine's calling me. So like, how are you? And she was like, uh, are you free tonight? And I was like, oh, uh, not really, because I'm in work in the morning. I've got to be up at six. And she was like, oh, right, okay. Uh, it's okay, don't worry about it. And at the time, I was thinking, well, I did this to her a month ago, so maybe she's just probably thinking the same. Uh, and 
she was like, well, I'm going to be probably bringing a, uh, you know, a mate round anyway, but I just wanted to see if you were free. So I was like, well, I'd love to come round, you know, but I'd, I'm in work in the morning, it's getting there, it's getting there. She was like, yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. And I said, well, are you free next week? And she said, well, I'll be free on Monday. Um, so message me Monday and you can come around on Monday. I was like, oh, yeah, because this, this was the Thursday. So I was like, yeah, that's fine. I finished work on the Sunday, so I'll be free on Monday, so I'll see you Monday. And that was that. And then two days go by, completely normal. Uh, and then on the Sunday, the 25th, about two o'clock in the afternoon, I've finished work, I've come home, I'm just about to watch a film called The Chamber. I've put the DVD in, and then I see a message off Ben. And whenever Ben messages me, I know it's something to do with, like, to get in touch with Jasmine or Jasmine going to get in touch with me, or it was something related to Jasmine. So Ben messaged me saying, are you free? So I was thinking, oh, uh, well, yeah, I'm free now. So I messaged him saying, yeah, what's up? He said, I need to message you. I need to call you. So, oh, God, I'm on, I'm on my French phone at the minute, so I can't really take English calls. So you can call me on here or you can just message me. And he said, it's not nice news. And when he said that, a part of me thought, oh, God, and Jasmine got like completely drunk or she stormed off if they had the fight, have they split up? I was thinking, oh God, what's she done? Like, just like that. And then I tried to call him on Messenger, but he wouldn't go through because he was on a laptop, which was old. And so he just ended up having to like type out the message. And he said, I don't know how to say this, but Jasmine passed away this morning, early hours this morning. Um, and he, he started going, like saying something briefly, but I just looked at the phone and what, what? And then the first thing that came to my head was Ben, please, please don't tell me that she killed herself. And he got back saying, yeah, she did. And that just completely, that was it. Just completely shook me. Uh, and it was, she'd been in hospital for a few days. No one knew anything. Um, and I had spoken with her, that phone call she made, six hours before she killed herself. But she was on life support for two days. So when she asked me that evening if I could, if I could go and see her and I said no, you know, that has played a big part of the guilt that I've lived with ever since. Uh, not to say that I could have stopped her or anything like that, but just to know that I could have been there at a time when she needed it, that really does hurt. I'm not going to lie, that, that's something that I'll never get over. I don't hold guilt over anything other than I just wish that, well, I, A, I wish she didn't do it, but I just wish that I would have had that opportunity to know that I could have said goodbye to her in some weird way, like just one last time to see her and to know that if she absolutely was definitely going to do that and nothing was going to stop her, then I just wish that she had made that time to see me to say goodbye in a sense. I know it's a weird, it's a weird thing to say, but to, the very last conversation I had of her was to make plans of her. And then to find out the day before I go to see her that she's dead. It's like, what, why did you do that? Like, couldn't you not have waited another day? At least, could you not have waited until Monday to see me if this was really going on? I know I'm, I'm being rational towards something which is an irrational decision made by someone. So I know it, it's fire against fire. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, but, you know, we're human beings. We make judgments based on our mistakes and our errors and what ifs and hindsight and all that. But for the 10 years that I knew Jasmine Pritchard, I was there for her whenever she asked me to, and she was there when I asked her to. 
And it just absolutely kills me to know that just one time that I said, no, I can't see you now, is the very last time that I seen her or spoke with her. I was... Ben told me all the details and I'm not going to freaking divulge anything on here, but from what Ben told me, I was probably the second to last person that she ever um, spoke to, ever. So the fact that I was on her mind when she went through with her last act on this planet alive, again, it brings some kind of comfort to know that, you know, we truly were really close friends and we were there for each other and that, but it's a weird, weird um, guilt, so to say, to know that even after everything we've been through, I still couldn't save her. And I said that at a funeral, like, I said that to everyone there because everyone who knew how close we were, you know, they were squeezing my shoulders when we were sat in the service, you know, to say goodbye because I'd lost it. I'd, I was just openly weeping. Um, seeing her mum and her brothers there and all, all the best friends um, and Ben. And the one thing I, people were saying, you know, are you okay? Obviously, uh, they knew I wasn't, but what else could they say? And the only thing that I could say back was, even now, in this reality that we're living with, where she's no longer here, it's still hard to believe that after everything, I couldn't save her. And people were trying to say things like, well, that wasn't down to you, you know, this was her choice, blah, 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 you know, the same things to try and divert any potential guilt on me, but I know within myself, and Jasmine knew this within herself, you know, I don't believe in an afterlife, but if there was, and Jasmine could hear this right now, yeah, she would be saying, oh God, no, don't blame it yourself, Grant, this is my choice, you know, I fucked up doing this, you know, I... You know, this was down on me, and yeah, I knew she. I know she would say that. But if the ro- if the roles were rever- reversed, and it was me that did that, and she was saying all this about me, yeah, I'd be saying the same thing through the gates of heaven to her, saying, you know, don't you dare blame yourself. This was my choice, my choice only. So, I'm that. I'm not holding anything up like up like that, but. It's been nearly a year since she's passed and it's still really weird, still very difficult to come to terms with that she's, A, that she's not here, and B, the manner that she left and C, the timing of it. Like, everything that was happening around that time, she was at her happiest. And I know that, I've seen it. So, there's no, you can't blue, print anything you can't pinpoint things like this these are random as fuck no one can see it coming and the people that do it they're not stupid they know what they're doing they may not be able to help it or control it but they know what they're doing and they know that it's gonna cause a lot of pain to everyone else who love them but because of what they're going through in that final moment all they're thinking about is ending their own pain. So I can't ever be angry at Jasmine or hate her for what she did because I know she was just using the only method she knew at that moment in time to end her own suffering. But goddamn, Jasmine, I love you so much and I miss you so much and I wish you were still here. I wish that you could come round and sing gravity to me again and get you to talk about whatever problem is you have and dance with me and live with me and to see you and Ben get married and have kids and do everything that you were supposed to do because your story wasn't finished and the fact that it's now over it's the hardest way that I could ever live my life knowing that you're not going to be a part of it you're not going to be part of my future. 
and that is the only thing I hate about it that you took that away from both of us but I'll always love you and I'll always miss you and I just had to get this off my chest now and I'm going to end this before I get too emotional but Jasmine Pritchard gone but not forgotten and I love you so much thanks for listening see you later